Addendum 6715-3 Recovered Documents Documents recovered from Prometheus Labs Following the discovery that SCP-6715 was created by Prometheus Labs, an investigation into the previously archived files recovered from the defunct organization was conducted. Below are the documents believed to be the most relevant to the creation and purpose of SCP-6715. Grant request for the development of a psychic-based utopia problem. We as a species have long sought after utopia. It seems to almost be in our nature to chase after it. The very idea invites us to work towards it. However, in our journey to paradise, we have managed to damage the earth in irreparable ways. In our single-minded pursuit, we have forsaken the one planet we call home. Our world is dying. The paranormal grows in abundance each and every day, and we have only accelerated the process. It seems that humanity, in its lust for nirvana, cannot coexist with Earth for much longer. Solution We propose the creation of a collection of psychic realities that can be customized to fit personal interpretations of utopia as opposed to virtual reality systems which require an unfathomable amount of processing power to host any meaningful number of individuals. A psychic reality utilizes the power already present in the human mind to stimulate reality. Our minds are highly adept at interpreting large volumes of input to create the images of the world we see before us. Certain telepaths pose the ability to manipulate these interpretations to create illusions that are indistinguishable from the baseline reality. Though telepathic manipulation, individual subjects could be permanently convinced by their own minds that they are in their own personal paradise. Given the potential backlash to existing alone in a psychic reality, these worlds would also require the ability to be merged. To achieve this, we propose the use of a single sufficient powerful telepath that would act as a host and architect to these worlds, as opposed to a multi-telepath model. A single telepath model would allow for compatibility between individual worlds as well as a reduction in the difficulty of finding two applicable telepaths. Beyond the potential benefits for humanity, this solution would also significantly reduce the current environmental strain on Earth, with a large enough number of subjects no longer interacting with the physical world, carbon emissions would be significantly reduced. Humanity would get its utopia, and Earth would be allowed to live on. Business Case Though this project is ultimately intended to be a humanitarian endeavor, with access to these psychic realities offered to any who seek it, we also understand the need to recuperate financial losses for the development of the system. For this, we plan to sell off initial access to the system. Aside from any hedonists who would spare no expense to be admitted to their image of paradise, these psychic worlds can be marketed as an opportunity for the terminally ill to live out their lives where they never could. Initial research suggests that we could be charging upwards of $25 million for initial access upon the completion of all necessary technologies. Use of Funding 
A total of 2.2 billion was sought for this project, to be allocated as follows. 2 billion for the construction of an isolated facility with proper psychic shielding to ensure the safety for the general populace during testing. 10 million for the construction of a device capable of containing and sustaining a profit-level telepath. See known issues. 5 million for researching ways to enhance natural telepathic abilities. See known issues. 4 million for the stocking of a facility with research supplies. 1 million for pay of staff and researchers. Known issues. Two primary issues exist in properly executing this project. Finding a sufficiently powerful telepath. The ability to create realistic telepathic illusions is exceedingly rare, even among groups with natural telepathic abilities. Meanwhile, those that do possess such abilities are rarely capable of actively managing more than a few psychic realities at a time. To add on this, maintaining the majority of humanity in a telepathic illusion would require a profit-level telepath. Due to the near impossibility of finding a natural candidate who meets all these conditions, we instead propose the modification of an already extent telepath's abilities to meet these requirements. To this end, we request access to Prometheus Labs' asset, Alice, which already possesses the ability to create telepathic illusions and is currently classified as a priest-level telepath. Sustainability A major concern of living in a psychic world would be the care of our physical bodies. In line with this concern is worry over the degradation of the host telepath's body. After all, paradise cut short is no paradise at all. Fortunately, these problems have a common solution. The preservation of the host telepath. Recent studies have shown that telepathic links between two individuals will not break even upon death of one subject. This would allow us to maintain all individuals in their respective psychic realities as long as we maintain the host telepath. In order to indefinitely sustain the host, we plan to develop a device capable of continuously stimulating and repairing the brain tissue, ensuring their consciousness remains active at all times regardless of any physical damage their body may sustain. Bibliography Request access to No official documents stating whether the above grant was approved could be found. However, the following email chain was discovered. From Dr. Jeremy Bennett to Dr. Daniel Richards Sent October 22nd, 1993 Subject Requested Asset Daniel First off, I'm not sending this message in any official capacity. The board has no idea I'm reaching out to you. That being said, we need to talk about this project you are proposing. The board is all but ready to approve your idea. In a more covert manner, however. They believe that if word got out about any of the specifics of your plan, there would be some consumer backlash. As well as a PR fiasco. However, as the asset is under my jurisdiction, 
they need me to sign off on the idea as well. Before I agree to anything, however, I need to know I can trust your judgment on this. I wouldn't even be considering this if it weren't for the work that you'd put in with telepaths in the past. However, your plan to increase the kid's power is a risk we can't take lightly. How do you plan on ensuring the safety of humanity? Dr. Jeremy Bennett, Head of Psionic Division. From Dr. Daniel Richards to Dr. Jeremy Bennett. Sent October 23rd, 1993. Subject Requested Asset Dr. Bennett, I understand your concerns, but let me reassure you, there is nothing to worry about. My team will not proceed with any enhancements until such a time that the asset's cooperation can be guaranteed. In terms of general safety, we have already chosen a location that would be sufficiently isolated. Though, given the asset's docile nature and lack of any incidents while under our organization's care, I personally believe that we could still be safe even with less restrictions. That being said, my team is going beyond the standard natural safety measures for this project. Additionally, I'm sure you've heard that the Metallurgy Division has developed plans for a metal material capable of containing telepathic threats. By the time we begin any enhancements on the subject, we should be able to commission a substantial amount of these materials. Dr. Daniel Richards From Dr. Jeremy Bennett to Dr. Daniel Richards Sent October 26th, 1993 Subject Project Approved Daniel, I've taken some time to think it over. There are many reasons I shouldn't approve this project. The potential damages speak for themselves. However, with the precautions you've laid out, I feel comfortable approving things on the safety end. Beyond that, I do believe in the benefits this research will provide. And I can't, in good faith, deny the world a chance at paradise. Just know that I will be keeping a close eye on this venture. And if at any point I sense that things are going in the wrong direction, I will shut everything down. Dr. Jeremy Bennett's Head of Psionic Division Excess Documents Recovered from SCP-6715 The following are a series of journal entries composed by Dr. Daniel Richards. These particular entries were selected for their relevance to SCP-6715. The files were recovered by Agent Riviera's personal thumb drive following PTF Chai-17's exploration into SCP-6715. June 22, 1996 I arrived at Nirvana today. It has been nearly three years since I originally proposed this whole project. I wish we had been able to start sooner. But the recent budget complications slowed the already arduous task of constructing this facility. 
Luckily, the delays have been somewhat beneficial. Recent developments in the field have led to a device capable of containing a telepath. It unfortunately requires a great deal of energy for the more powerful subjects, a problem me and my team hope to solve in the meantime. Additionally, the Metallurgy Division thinks that it has come close to creating a more passive approach to telepath containment. Speaking of my research team, they would all be arriving in the next few days. A small group came in advance with me to help me prep all the equipment. I would like to say that it's nice that Prometheus spared no expense, however, most of this equipment has clearly seen better days. Still, despite the many delays and cuts, I'm excited to begin. To properly change the world for the better. The asset should be arriving by the week's end, and then things will truly get underway. July 8th, 1996 Initial testing has gone, hmm, less than smoothly. The asset has shown a reluctance or perhaps inability to create illusions that mimic reality with any degree of accuracy. Our volunteers reported that the illusions take on a dreamlike quality and always seem to be childish in nature, oftentimes somewhat akin to a storybook or cartoon setting. I'm not necessarily surprised by these results. She is just a child. However, I suppose I expected something more powerful or frightening, given how much of a fuss Bennett made about using her for the project. She could supposedly trap an entire city in a fake reality, but I truthfully can't see her doing anything like that. After our last test, she apologized to me, clearly aware of my frustrations. She told me that she doesn't like tricking people, which makes things difficult for her to make realistic illusions. She also said it's easier to make them mimic things she knows well. Thinking this over, I believe the key to getting her abilities to work in the way that we want is more psychological than I may have initially anticipated. Perhaps the best course of action would be to teach her why this project is for the betterment of mankind, and given her interest in stories, giving her books to read may prove helpful. December 13th 1996. Despite a rough start, we finally started to make some progress here. The team has begun construction on the machine that will help us contain the kids' abilities. They've taken to calling it The Peak, due in part to the fact that it looks like an upside-down mountain, but mostly because the machine is the closest as a species we've ever been to heaven. I'm happy to know that many of them are loyal to the cause. It also doesn't hurt that the kid will be exposed to more minds that are aligned with the mission. Speaking of the kid, we've made some significant progress in that development as well. We've started teaching her about the natural world and given her a lot of reading material on the subject. Needless to say, it has been a noticeable impact on her tests. The illusions grow yet more realistic every day. I never realized it, but that poor girl has been kept sheltered by Prometheus for so long that she knows next to nothing about the world that we're trying to save. 
Her understanding of reality is one of gray walls in picture books. I honestly kind of wish that we could let her go out and experience some of the world for herself, but for now, stories will have to suffice. January 24th, 1997. I believe we've made a terrible mistake. Over the past few months, we started to grow more fond of Alice. Unfortunately, progress in improving the quality of her illusions has slowed. There is only so much one can learn from books. She has been so passionate about the project, she wants to learn more to help the project. After discussing the issue, a few members of the team, myself included, volunteered to let her access our memories, so she could experience nature more directly. We were letting her walk amongst our memories of beautiful forests and winding rivers. We were careful at first, most of us being trained to deal with telepaths, namely by hiding our more sensitive memories when one comes to probing around. So for a few weeks, Alice was getting used to walking around the more open parts of our minds. The plan was working. The illusions were becoming indistinguishable from reality. Alice got a little too comfortable with the arrangement and one day, in an attempt to see why Connor was upset, accessed his mind in a way that he wasn't ready for. It didn't take long before he noticed and alerted the rest of the staff. But by that point, Alice had already dug around inside his mind. I tried to find out what she had seen, but she refused to speak after the event. However, we ended up finding out soon afterwards anyways. That night, Alice had a nightmare. And we all had to live through it with her. It started in a car. I was driving, or... I suppose it was Connors who was driving, but it felt too real. Before then, none of Alice's illusions had been strong enough to make anybody feel like they were actually living the experience. And even though I've never been in one, I now know exactly what a car crash feels like. There's a sudden bright light. I know it's coming. The moment before the impact feels like it lasts eternity. Yet I can't do anything in that time to change what's about to happen. Suddenly, my head is on fire and every movement is pure agony. I slowly turn my head, tears welling up in the process, hoping to get a bearing on my situation. I finally notice the other car. It's a black pickup. And the details stick out to me even now. The front is slightly caved in from the impact. The diesel engine hums loudly. The windows are tinted. Though the front one is badly cracked, I see the dust outlining the wheel wells and the various scratches along the side of the truck. Finally, I look towards the driver's seat. The details of his face are blurry, but I know he is looking back at me. I know that asshole sees me. I look to the dashboard only to see it littered with bottles. He takes one look at me before he begins to pull away, and I try for what must have been the thousandth time to remember the license plate, but I just can't. I'm suddenly hit with a realization. Eliza, 
I turned to the passenger seat only to see her sitting there, motionless. I try calling to her, but I can only croak out a sad excuse for words. I, Daniel Richards, have never met this woman, yet seeing her like this hurts me more than my shattered bones ever could. I woke up shortly after, not quite sure where or even who I was. After some time regaining my bearings, I rushed to Alice's room. She was crying and kept apologizing for what happened. I wasn't sure how to comfort her, but I told her it wasn't her fault. I can't blame her. No kid should have experienced those things, and I know she didn't choose to subject us to that nightmare. Nearly a quarter of my team has resigned or requested a transfer. I approved all of them. And how could I not? We are now all grieving for a woman we never even knew existed. Connors in particular, well, he was forced to relive the worst moment of his life all over again. I reached out to Bennett to make sure that he gets proper compensation. Not that we could ever truly fix what happened. February 10th, 1997. Bennett was planning to shut us down. I told him about the incident when he told me he was going to come here and take Alice back and take her to her old facility. We were too close though too close to creating something truly meaningful for Bennett to pull the plug just now. I wasn't quite sure what to do, but Alice, as keen as ever, could tell I was concerned. I didn't want to lie to her, not like I could if I wanted to, so I told her that we would have to stop the project. I tried to reassure her it wasn't her fault, but I could tell that she felt guilty. I should have paid more attention, though. When he finally arrived, he took to scolding my carelessness almost immediately. He then quickly went to retrieve Alice alone, refusing to let us say goodbye to her. However, when he came back to her room, she wasn't with him. I asked what happened and he told me he had a change of heart and realized that everything is fine here. I'm grateful for whatever Alice did to save the project, I just never realized that she could do something like that on her own accord. I also couldn't help but hope this is the last time it comes to something like this. May 13th, 1997. After a few rough months, we are finally back on track. The peak is fully operational, already programmed with the means to solve our sustainability program autonomously. Additionally, Alice's illusions have started to reach amazing heights. She's learned how to stretch out perception of time, effectively making five-minute sessions feel upwards of an hour. And we have reason to believe that she can push this ability even further. We still needed to confirm that the illusions were indistinguishable from reality, though. 
so we had a few volunteers agree to be subjects for them at random times. Out of our seven subjects, only one ever realized he was in an illusion when it was occurring. Excellent results, but still not enough. Hopefully, though, soon she'll be ready. Alice is... she's doing better. She still won't talk much about it, but she blames herself for the incident, and I know she still occasionally has nightmares. I can't imagine what it must be like for her to live someone else's trauma. The minds of children and adults aren't always compatible when it comes to copying information. Yet, Alice couldn't even develop her own natural feelings. She had to feel the feelings Connors felt. Beyond that, she keeps herself busy and distracted with the project. She is determined to save the world. I've never seen someone so young with so much passion about something. I'd almost say that she wants this to work more than I do. She's grown to care about the planet and the well-being of humanity as a whole. As happy as I am that she cares so deeply for the work that we are trying to accomplish, I can't help but wonder how much of this was within her to begin with and how much of it was caused by our influence. We often worry about how telepaths will alter us, but, but they're the ones that are being constantly exposed to our every thought. I know if I heard people talking about the same goal for months on end, I'd start caring about it too. September 4th, 1997. Alice's abilities have reached their current peak. None of our test subjects have been able to distinguish them from reality. She can stretch a single minute into a week. And though we can't properly test it, we're almost certain that she could hold a small town in her shared illusion effortlessly. As it stands, with the peak completed and Alice pushing herself at her current max, there is only one path left for us to take. We need to increase the strength and range of Alice's abilities. Truth be told, she's been ready since July, but the procedure to improve her telepathic ability is one that I'd rather put off. It won't be painful, but after we go through it, any chance of her having a normal life will be gone. There was a time that I was willing to have sacrificed anyone in this position, myself included. A chance for humanity to reach utopia by sacrificing a single individual? I thought anyone would make that decision. But now I'm faced with the choice of leaving this poor girl out of heaven making her the atlas of our new world. I'm just not certain. Her birthday is in October, and I have no plans on making any decisions before then. November 6th, 1997. My staff has been asking me when we will proceed to the next phase of the project. I know many of them have grown to care for Alice and her well-being, but there are still a large number that only see her as a means to an end. A mentality I can't help but feel responsible for fostering during the first few months of Nirvana, 
I've spent the past several months trying to think of alternative ways to reach our goal. However, to create the perfect life for humanity without tearing apart the Earth in the process seems nearly impossible. The laws of nature work against us at every turn. Fighting against entropy alone would require a constant intake of new materials to stave off deterioration. The only way is to circumvent natural laws. The problem with that approach is that anomalies are... Hmm, unpredictable. To find the right combination of longevity, sustainability, and reliability was somewhat impossible. Then came Alice, who, in combination with the peak, not only has all three traits, but the actual potential to create this new world. Despite those facts, and the insurmountable challenge of finding a suitable replacement, I still couldn't go through with it without at least giving her the choice. I explained to her that if she wanted, me and several other doctors would be willing to help her escape, help her find a normal life away from all of this. I told her that she would get a chance to live a normal life if she wanted. I don't know what reaction I expected from her, but it certainly wasn't the confused stare she gave me. And after I finished speaking, she just sat there in silence for a while. I told her to take her time to think it over and got up to leave when she turned to me and said, I want to stay. I tried to figure out why, but the only explanation she would give is that this project was important to her. That meaning that the operation was going to be in three weeks. November 30th, 1997. The past few days have been difficult. We finally went through with the procedure to enhance Alice's abilities. Fortunately, there were no complications during the operation, and Alice came out without a scratch. Unfortunately, the enhancement of her abilities went too well, and now she seems to be one of the most powerful telepaths on the face of the Earth with no idea how to control her magnitude of power. We knew there would be a learning curve. Alice was particularly well adapted to her level of powers, considering she had had them since birth. She was able to execute control over her abilities down to the most precise scales. But now we've effectively taken a professional driver and replaced their gas pedal with something ten times more sensitive. Almost immediately, she was struggling not to read our thoughts or control us. Every slight desire or suggestion she had was impossible not to obey. Even if she wasn't trying to actively force us to do anything. Additionally, there was all this extra noise. To go from not only being able to read a few people in the same building, but to be able to hear the thoughts across the globe... It must have been overwhelming. She was subconsciously begging for us to help her in some way, and we couldn't refuse. We ended up putting her in the peak and activated its telepathic shielding. It isn't quite as strong as we had thought it would be. 
she still can't filter out all the noise or stop her subconscious commands. The machine is working double time just to make it bearable for her, and we can't let her out unless we find a way to properly shield her. The damn metallurgy division has been working on the same telekill project for years at this point, but I think they finally have a workable prototype. I've requested some of the early samples in hopes that we can use it to help Alice. January 2nd, 1998. Damn, Telekill is useless. I know this stuff is still in development, but the Metallurgy Division doesn't know what they're doing. We got a shipment of this stuff last week and I've been running tests on it to make sure it's safe. Turns out this stuff is just a time bomb. The main problem is that they essentially tried to make a conductor for psionic energy, something that would act as a Faraday cage and cancel out telepathic signals. That plan would have been fine, but there's no such thing as negative psionic charge. Psionic charge arises from consciousness. And since there is no such thing as a negative consciousness, negative psionic charge isn't a thing. It's the same reason you can't create a Faraday cage for gravity. There's no negative mass. What they created is more akin to a spring, a material that soaks up a lot of energy and eventually discharges it after it hits its limit, which makes it unusable for trying to contain a telepath as strong as Alice. The pent-up telepathic signals would be released on Earth like a wildfire. Fortunately, that is a problem we may be able to fix. Considering the fact that it acts like a spring, we may be able to redirect that stored energy into something else. One way or another, it will have devastating effects, but hopefully the alternatives won't result in us accidentally enslaving humanity. The other issue is more difficult to fix. There is no way to pick and choose what psionic energy to absorb. This stuff will slowly suck the consciousness out of me and my team. Luckily, Alice is safe, as she is effectively an infinite source of psionic energy. It will never be able to reach her actual consciousness. She'll just keep feeding it energy. Leaving us with two choices. Number one, get rid of the telekill and run the risk of the peak breaking down from the excess strain which would only unleash Alice's uncontrolled abilities on humanity. Or number two, modify the telekill, incorporate it into Nirvana, and spend as little time here as possible. Though we'd more than likely be able to have people here taking small shifts, we'd effectively be leaving Alice alone. I can't keep putting her into these awful situations, but if we can finish the project quickly, we can start on getting people to enter the psionic illusions. Once we get enough people, the strain of the world's mind will be lessened. And then we can tear out the telekill as well. We're just so close. And soon Alice won't have to suffer anymore. I know we really don't have a choice. But I almost can't bear to tell Alice that we'll have to leave her alone up here. The worst part is that I don't ever know when we'll next be able to see her. 
Prometheus would have to sign off on all the trips and it isn't exactly easy to reach by foot. And I doubt they'd send more than a few caretakers at a time. Though considering that the peak will eternally keep Alice alive, they may not even afford her that. I will come back for her. I have to. Maybe I can't free her from this life, but at least I can be there for her. But for now, I'll have to say goodbye. No more journal entries were recovered by Agent Riviera. Given the collapse of Prometheus Labs on 1998, it is unknown if Dr. Richards is able to return to SCP-6715. Additionally, his current whereabouts are unknown. Interviewer, Dr. Simon Pace. Interviewed, Agent Samantha Reyness. Forward. The following is an official debriefing interview of Agent Reyness, conducted on March 13, 2013, following the exploration of SCP-6715. Primary objectives of the interview included determining what transpired in the central chamber of SCP-6715 and confirming that Agent Reyness was free of any telepathic influence. Begin Log Dr. Pace Hello, Agent Reyness. I'm terribly sorry about the wait. We've been trying to sort through all the new information your team brought back. Agent Reyness It's fine. Can we just get this over with? I'm ready to get home. Dr. Pace Ah. Yes. That's actually something I wanted to talk to you about. Since returning from your mission, you've put in several requests to be put on leave as soon as possible. And I've heard you were considering resigning from the Foundation altogether. What of it? I hate to seem accusatory, but you were just on a mission engaged with what we can confirm to be a telepathic threat. I'm sure you have your own reasons, but surely you understand our concerns. Look, I... I just... I was supposed to protect them, you know? The whole reason I was picked for the mission was so that I could prevent any telepathic attacks from hurting my team. And I completely failed. Jessica can't talk. Ben is completely lost. Adrian still hasn't woken up. That girl basically tore our psyches to shreds and it's all my fault. I don't want to see what happens to anyone else again. That's why I'm trying to get out. I see. I'm sorry for insinuating. No, I, I get it. It's the type of caution we should have had. Once we get you clear, I'll put a recommendation for you to go on leave. Hopefully it'll speed up the process. Thank you. Of course. Now, I hate to ask you this, but would you mind going over exactly what happened after we lost contact with the team? Right. Well, 
we all got ready to enter the chamber, Ben and Jessica were standing beside the door ready to charge in while Adrian was disarming the lock, and there was me completely useless. We both know that wasn't true. It was your skills in handling telepaths that allowed your team a chance to escape. Thanks. Anyways, imagine our surprise when we opened the door to find this teenager all alone, strapped to this huge device ripped straight out of a sci-fi film. She couldn't see us. The machine covered her eyes, but she heard us, both physically and telepathically. Riviera collapsed almost immediately and went from standing there as confused as the rest of us to passed out on the floor. So you're saying she made no attempts in communication before attacking? It wasn't an attack, at least not an intentional one. I think she just wanted to know who we were and pushed a little too hard. To her, we were the psychic equivalents of ants or flies able to crush us with the slightest poke if she wasn't too careful. It doesn't matter what her intentions were, because Jessica shot her. Agent Patterson fired on the telepath. Yes, three bullets straight to the chest. I can still hear the girl screaming. The problem though was that she didn't die. She was bleeding out in front of all of us, but the machine wouldn't let her die. It didn't stop the pain, either. It just kept her from passing on. That's about when everything went to shit. I don't know what she did to the others, but she wrapped me in my own personal torture den. We are all terribly sorry. That must have been a very difficult couple of hours. Hours? It felt like fucking years. I almost forgot who I was in there, what I was there for. Eventually she stopped caring about me just enough to let me form a plan. I took the first chance I got to trick her into looping her illusions back in on herself. Once I woke up, I tried to get the rest of the team up and now you see how that all went down. Do you believe you were able to properly contain her using her illusions against her? Not even close. It was basically the psychic equivalent of getting someone to punch themselves in the face. It leaves them stunned, but usually people can take what they can dish out. I see. Is there anything else you would like to add for the record? Yeah. Don't go back there. I'm sure removing her from that machine will result in her dying, given the wounds she had suffered, and ultimately remove any threat she possibly possesses. However, in that split second before she dies, she could kill us all with a thought. Every mind will shut off. That machine may be the only thing protecting her, but it's also the only thing protecting you. Rather insightful. Well, thank you for your time, Agent Reness. 
I'll see what I can do about expediting your request. End log.